awesome to be here with you today. And again, I just want to congratulate you for coming to church today on Time Change Sunday. I know that this is always the most challenging one where you kind of wake up and you're like, oh my goodness, where'd that hour of sleep go? Who here was caught off guard by that today? That was a, if you're really honest, you forgot about it. All of a sudden you show up and you're like, oh my goodness, I, I realize that the clocks have moved forward by an hour. Well, we are glad that you're here, regardless of how you got here and when you got here. I think it's a great thing. It is a great day for us as a church. Our, our slogan is becoming family together this year, that we get to worship God as family. I love doing that. I think it's one of the most awesome things. Well, I want to also today honor all of the ladies that are in our church here today, because this week there was a celebration of International Women's Day. And again, uh, I just think that uh, we would not be where we're at without all of the ladies that God has in our lives. So if you're a lady here today, stand up. We want to acknowledge you and thank you for the, just the gift that you are to your family, to your friends, to our community. Praise God. You can be seated. Strong women, strong families, strong communities. Again, you are a blessing. Uh, and again, I want to today say as we are going to dive back into 1 John that it is also an honor to be able to look at the Bible together. For the past month or so, we have been looking at the book of 1 John here at Eastside City Church. So if you're new here today, again, we want to welcome you. My name is Pastor Todd, along with my wife Jan. We are the pastors here. We want to welcome you as we dive back into this series. Now, the overarching theme of 1 John is about growing in love. That John the disciple of Jesus talking to us about, first of all, how we can grow in our love for God, our love for one another, and even our love for those who can be difficult to love. Maybe that annoying person at work, that, that person that you see on the news that has different political opinions than you do. God's desire is that we would love each other. And here are a few quick facts about the book of First John. First John, first of all, was written by the disciple of Je John, who was the disciple of Jesus, he was known as the beloved disciple because of his close relationship with Jesus. And this gave him the opportunity not only to hear Jesus preach and teach, but he got to see how he lived. He got to hear his deepest thoughts. And so I believe that gives him a unique perspective on writing the Bible, the books of the Bible that he wrote. Secondly, this book, unlike the Gospel of John, which he also wrote, was written at the end of his life. He was over 80 years old when he wrote the books of First, Second, and Third John. And because of that, he was able to see what had happened with Christianity, with the church. He saw how it was developing, how it was growing, where things are at. And so as he's coming near the end of his life, he gives us this reflection of saying, here are some really important teachings that I want you to understand. I want you to know some things that, that, that I took from the life of Jesus, and now I want to pass it to you in your current context. And lastly, that it, the book was not written to any specific church, but to Christians everywhere, that he was writing to Christians throughout history. Now, today's message is going to be out of the last chapter in the book of 1 John, the first half of it, it's in 1 John chapter 5, and I'm titling it, this is a little bit of a unique title, called Caterpillars, Kids, and Butterflies. 
Caterpillars. Who's, who's interested already just by that title? So let's dig into 1 John. Now I'm going to read out of the New Living Translation. And if you have your Bibles with you, I'd like to see you open them to 1 John. We're going to start in verse 1. But if you have your uh, 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 electronic device, uh, an iPhone and, or an iPad or anything like that, or an Android item, I'm not biased towards anything here. Um, or you, whether you, if you don't have that, you can just follow along on the screen. We're going to read this, and I want you to look at this with me. So he starts off by saying this in chapter 5, verse 1. Everyone, say that with me, Everyone. Good job. You guys are a lot stronger than our first service was. He says, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has become a child of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves his children too. We know we love God's children if we love God and obey his commandments. Loving God means keeping his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. For every child of God defeats this evil world and we achieve this victory through our faith. And who can win this battle against the world? Only those who believe that Jesus is the Son of God. We know that we've been focusing a lot on the fact that Jesus being the Son of God is really important. And in verse 6 it says, And Jesus quiet Christ was revealed as God's Son by his baptism in water and by shedding his blood on the cross. Not by water only, but by water and blood. And the Spirit who is truth confirms it with his testimony. So we have these three witnesses, the Spirit, the water, and the blood, and all three agree. Since we believe human testimony, surely we can believe the greater testimony that comes from God. And God has testified about his Son. All who believe in the Son of God know in their hearts that This testimony is true. Those who don't believe this are actually calling God a liar because they don't believe what God has testified about his son. And this is what God has testified. He has given us eternal life, and this life is in his son. Whoever has the son has life. Whoever does not have God's son does not have life. Hallelujah. There's a lot of stuff there. I just want to pray if we can pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank you today for your word. That your word is life for us. Or as the psalmist wrote, it is a light unto our path. It gives us direction, correction. It helps us. It heals us. It restores us. So today, Father God, I pray that you would open our eyes to see, our ears to hear, our hearts to receive everything that Jesus you have for us. And may we grow more and more like you each and every day in Jesus' precious holy name. And everybody said, amen. Amen. Well, I want to start off by saying this as we begin this journey together, that kids are awesome. Don't you think that kids are just some of the most amazing creatures on the planet. I mean, they have their own personalities. They have their own ways of looking at the world. And each one of them, I want to say this, is unique and innocent. Well, at least innocent until proven guilty, right? You see, and they're full of mystery. Now, they respond to life with wonderment, and they are constantly changing, sometimes changing so fast. I mean, I, I, I even think of my own children that this year, my oldest daughter is graduating from high school. I cannot 
believe it. I mean, I just still remember taking her home from the hospital. And my son, my baby, he's beginning high school next year. And I just am like, Lord, where did the time go? Do you, do you ever wonder that like me? Like, what happened? How did this go so fast? Things change very, very quickly. Well, I still remember when my wife told me she was pregnant for the, uh, with our first child. Uh, there, there was great expectation. Uh, there was a little bit of shock in my life. I, I, I kind of had that momentary lapse, and I was like, well, well how did this happen? What, what, what? And then, all right, you, we, we don't, we're not going to talk about that here today. But, um, but I, I was just, there were so many things that were, that were going through my mind. There were so many thoughts. Would it be a boy or would it be a girl? Or what will they look like? Uh, uh, who will they, what, what kind of baby will they be? Are they going to be a happy baby, a sad baby, an angry baby? Are they going to sleep through the night? Are we going to get lots of rest? Or am I going to have one of those children that just is upset and cries and has to eat every 30 minutes. You know, what, what, what kind of baby are, are we going to have here today? And, and I got to the place where I think almost every parent gets to, that, that, that when you have raced through all of those thoughts and those emotions, you're kind of just like, okay, God, uh, I, just, just, I just want a healthy child. Uh, that, that's what I'm, I'm, I'm believing for, I'm looking for. And so I, I remember that, that when I went to the hospital and my wife was about ready to give birth, that, that, that there was, that I just was a wreck. I, I wasn't doing very good. I was so nervous about what was going on and just the, the, the sights and sounds and, and, and the labor that was going on. In fact, I, I, I don't think I was really very helpful to my wife. Um, I almost passed out. I hate to admit this as a man here. In fact, I, I think she sometimes still holds it against me just a little bit that there was a moment when she was in labor working really hard that there were more people attending to me than they were to her. All right, you know, I think I should have been a dad in the 60s where you're just not allowed in there, you know, you just wait, you wait. Uh, but it wasn't one of my finest moments, but after quite a few hours and a lot more work for my wife, she, she gives birth and all of a sudden it's announced to us. They said, you, you have the, the, you've just been blessed with a baby girl. And I was like, a girl? Uh, a baby girl. Now the, the shock, I, I want you to understand this, isn't because I didn't want a girl. My wife and I had been convinced from doctor's visits and many things that we probably were having a boy. And so we, we came into the hospital with this idea that we were going to have a boy. In fact, we thought we were having a boy so much, we hadn't even picked out any girl names. And so it was like, honey, we got a girl. What are we going to name her? Uh, God spoke to me in a moment of revelation. I got to actually name my daughter. It was pretty cool. But there was also shock um, because of this. Secondly, when my, my wife saw our daughter for the very first time, she made this declaration. She goes, I cannot believe this. I just gave birth to your dad. <laughs> I'm not sure if it was the bald head or the fact of her perfect round little face. But I had to admit, she did look a lot like my dad. It was kind of freaky there for a bit. Here's the truth about children. Kids tend to look like their parents. We tend to look like 
our parents or our family. And as, we, as they get older, they begin to talk and act like us too, both good and bad. Well, back to our scripture John says this, that everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ, listen to this, has become a what? A child of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves his children too. And we know we love God's children if we love God and obey his commandments. Loving God means keeping his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. For every child of God defeats the evil world and we achieve this victory through our faith and we can win this battle against the world only those, and who can win the battle against the world? Only those who believe that Jesus is the Son of God. I share this today. I've always loved science. Uh, it was one of my passions. It was probably the subject that I did the best in and in uh, high, in school and especially in high school, it was my, one of my favorite summer subjects. In fact, it was my goal to one day be, to become a science teacher. I wanted to become a cool chemistry and biology teacher in high school. Why? Because a lot of the teachers that were chemistry and biology teachers, they weren't cool. And I, that was one of my goals. I thought, you know, I want to be this guy that teaches these hard subjects and makes them awesome. And this is what, where I was going before God directed me to become a pastor. Now, remember when I was in elementary school, I think I was in grade three or four, that the teacher one day brought in a bunch of leaves and branches that were infested with caterpillars. She explained to us, I mean, we were just like, whoa, look at these branches. She actually bought trees into our classroom. This is cool. I want to bring stuff from outside into the house, too. I think that's awesome. And, and so we saw the branches, and they were filled with caterpillars. And she said, over the next few weeks, we're going to see some changes happen with these caterpillars. They're going to build a cocoon. And after a few weeks, become something totally different, a butterfly. Now, for some of us, there were like oohs and ahs because we were like, is that where butterflies come? I didn't know that the caterpillars eventually became butterflies. I was like, this is cool. And in a couple weeks, it happened. A transformation, a metamorphosis. The caterpillar changed into a butterfly. Ah, what a great thing. You see, I believe that John shares this type of illustration in chapter 5 when he says this, that a person who believes in Jesus, there's a transformation that takes place in their life. There's a, a change, that, an event that happens, and we go from being children of the world, children who are struggling with sin, children who are living for ourselves, to now when Jesus enters into our hearts, a new relationship was formed, and we become children of God. Why is this important? Well, a child takes on the nature or appearance of the parents. The way they walk, the way they talk, the way they behave. Have you ever met somebody for the first time and could swear they were like somebody else you knew? You know, they, they, you, 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 you watch the way that their mannerisms are, the, the way that they talk, or phrases that they use, and you're just like, man, I swear, you're like somebody else I know. And then you find out, I don't know if this has ever happened to you, and then you find out 
It's like their brother or their sister or another relative. And you're just like, whoa, I could tell who you were because I've met your brother or your sister. It was so cool. It was amazing. Or maybe you look at your own kids and you see something that they do that is exactly like your spouse or your dad or your, even yourself. You see, as a child of God, we gain a new identity, a new heart, and even a new destiny. John says, because of this transformation now, because we are now sons and daughters of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, because now that we are children of God, there should be different things that come out of our life. We should talk differently. We should walk differently. We should behave differently. Why? Because love changes everything. And he says, this is how you will know you're his children. First of all, he says, you'll love his other children. Or we will love each other the way that he loved us. Now, we've spent a lot of time talking about this over the past few weeks, about how important our relationships are towards each other. That we need to remember that we... Love others because why he first loved us. That's what gives us the ability to do that. And that we, the change in our lives that happens is that we used to love ourselves at the expense of others, but now we love others at the expense of ourselves. You see, it's a sacrificial love that happens. But then he says something that I find very interesting. He says, we will know that we are his children because we love his commandments. Now, here's the truth, if we're being honest here today. Most of us don't like to be commanded to do anything. <laughs> Is it true? I, I don't know about you, but I don't like being told what to do. I, I, I still, to this day, I mean, I mean, even as a kid, when you're growing up and your parents say, hey, you know what, you need to clean your room. I'll do it, but I don't like doing it. Or in your marriage when you're like, hey, can you do that? I don't, I don't like it when my wife commands me to do stuff. I don't mind being asked. Commanded is another thing. You see, it goes against our nature. But you see, when we look at the Bible and we look at God's commands, we have to understand that, that, that these are things that are healthy for us. That these are things that are here to help us, to help us grow, to help us succeed, to help us live our best life. That God doesn't just do things to control us or manipulate us, but that he has our best intentions in his heart, which is a lot of times different than the people that are around us. You see, they're not easy, but they're what best for us. Now, when I looked up the Greek word, for commandment, and I'm not going to try to pronounce that word. Here's the definition, that, that the best definition that, I, that came out of it. It was this, that a commandment is an authoritative prescription. Now, there's another ooh, word that we tend not to like, authority. You know, oh, authoritative. You got to do this. You got to do that. Ah, I don't like it. But I want you to look at it this way, that when it talks about an authoritative prescription, it is like, a doctor's note or a prescription that is given to you when you are sick. You see, when you are sick and you are really sick, you'll do just about anything that you need to do to feel better. Isn't that true? You will eat things and drink things that you would never do before because you believe somehow this is going to help me get better because the way I'm feeling right now, what's going on in my life just isn't very good. 
So I'll do what you tell me to do. It's an authoritative thing. And most doctors don't go, you know what, you know what I think you should do? Maybe you should try this. Or No, when you're hurting and you are in a bad spot, they tell you what you need to do. Why? Because it's for your benefit. And so when we look at the Bible, we need to understand that when God says, you should do this or you need to do this, it's for your own benefit. And unlike doctors who give their best opinion on objects, the Bible gives us an instructions that are promises to help us live better. Things like you should avoid sin. You should encourage others. Commands. You are called to love people. A commandment. You're to release your bitterness and forgive other people. That's also a commandment. You're to obey godly authority. Oh, Pastor Todd, why do you keep bringing that stuff up? Why? Because all of these prescriptions only serve to help us. And they also allow us to be able to help other people. And then John makes this statement, and I think this is so amazing. He says, look, when it comes to God's commandments, look, you can do this because they're not burdensome. What? Say that again. They're not burdensome. You see, John wasn't only writing so that we would understand this today. You have to understand that John was a Jewish man. That John wrote things also to the people that were around him. And there were a lot of Jewish people around him. There were Gentiles, there were Jews. And you have to understand that when it came to his era and his time, that Jewish people only understood the heavy weight of the law. Not only were there God's commandments, which were really difficult to follow. If you read Leviticus and Deuteronomy and Numbers, those are hard books to read. Why, there's so many things. that They were told the way they could walk, the way they could talk, how they could dress, how they were to handle this issue, that issue. They had to bring this type of sacrifice on this day, at this time of the day, with this much flour, without flour, bread that was rising, not rising. I mean, there was, you had to, it was a lot of work. And on top of it, over the centuries, the religious leaders had added traditions and other burdens that were just piled on even more of this difficulty. And so when John is writing this, he's saying, look, I want you to know that God's commandments are not like that. They're not burdensome. And I they're like, wow. He was like, do these things and you will be free. You see, Jesus, or John shares that things are different with Jesus. That the law brings death, but the Spirit gives life. You see, Jesus didn't come to tie us to a religious system. He came to give us freedom. You see, when I obey God's command, he doesn't, it's not to keep me from living, it's to allow me to live more freely. See, Jesus is not the party pooper, folks. I know when I was growing up, I used to, the, the, the challenge was, was, well, do I really want to serve God? Do I really want to go give my whole life to God? Do I really want to go for it? Because if I do that, I'm going to miss out on all of these fun things. You see, if you're really a good Christian, you can't have any fun in your life. Who here knows that's a lie? You see, the design that God has for your life and for my life and for everyone's life is that he doesn't want to give you bondage. He wants to, to say, if you walk in these ways, these are designed to allow you to live more freely. 
without guilt and condemnation and worry. That you truly can have your best, best life. And it should turn from a have to into an a want, a want to. You know, maybe you need to remind yourself. The, the, the idea behind this is the idea of how we feel when we're first in love with that significant other person in our life. You know, when you're love, you'll do whatever you can to please the one who you love. Hey, if it means walking an extra kilometer or two to see them, you'll figure out a way. You'll, you'll make it happen. You'll do it. Why? Because you're in love. Love is great. It's wonderful. You'll go without sleep for days to spend time, a bit more time with the people you love. You'll go into work with your eyes half open and you'll be like, oh, it is so good. I know I'm tired today, but, but I'm in love. It's not work. And when you get married and your wife says she's hungry at 2 in the morning, you're, you're okay with driving to McDonald's at 2 a.m. and getting her a happy meal because her happiness makes you happy. <laughs> it's not a burden. It's a, some ladies are like, I'm going to try that. That sounds like a good plan. But then John goes on to say that we defeat evil by putting our faith in Jesus and following the word of God. Stripping everything down. I could preach weeks of messages on faith, but simply what is faith? Faith is obedience in action. You say, you can say, you know what, I, I believe God's word is true. You see, we can believe a lot of things in our mind. We can believe a lot of things in our heart, but it really isn't true belief until it changes the way we live or it produces an action. And so he's saying, well, when I put my trust in God and I look at his commandments and I'm willing to obey them, what I'm really doing is I'm saying, God, I trust that your ways are better than my ways. You tell me to love my enemies? Okay. I trust you'll deal with my enemies. You tell me to watch my tongue when people attack me? I, I, I trust that you're going to be my defender. I don't have to defend myself. You tell me to forgive my friend for hurting me? I trust that you're going to heal my heart and you're going to allow me to love again. Why do we do this? Well, because we understand that Jesus isn't just some great teacher. We talked about this, that this whole point of Jesus being recognized as the Son of God, that he's not just a, a great teacher, that he's not just a good person. He was not just a, a, an amazing prophet, but he was the Son of God. And because of the Son of God is speaking to us and he knows what's best for our life, that our desire is to live for him and to, and to walk in him and to live in him in our, with our lives. Because only God can heal our hearts. Only he can forgive our sins. Only he can protect us from the evil one, and that changes everything in our lives. Because love changes everything. Now, not only did Jesus say he loved us, but he demonstrated his love for us in his obedience to God. He wasn't asking us to do something that he didn't do himself. We see this as we pick up in verse 6. It says that Jesus Christ was revealed as God's son by his baptism. 
in water. And by shedding his blood on the cross, not by water only, but by water and blood, and the Spirit, who is truth, confirms it with his testimony. So we have these three witnesses, the Spirit, the water, and the blood. All three agree. Since we believe human testimony, surely we can believe the greater testimony that comes from God. And God has testified about his Son. All who believe in the Son of God know in their hearts that his testimony is true. Those who who don't believe this are actually calling God a liar because they don't believe what God has testified about his Son. You see, one of the greatest problems, I believe, we have with other people who tell us who try to tell us what to do, is that they do not do the things they're telling us themselves. We see it in our government leaders right now. We, we struggle with, hey, you need to take uh, more of your income and, and give it to the government, yet they're going living their lives tax-free. We have a hard time with those things. We struggle with, with leaders and bosses at work who expect us to be on time, but yet are never on time themselves. We, we struggle with, with our, even as our own parents sometimes, we have to understand this, that what gets us into trouble, and even me as a pastor, is that we don't always do the things that we say we're going to do. We say one thing and we do another. You know, I'm asking God all the time, would you help me not to be like that? Would my words back up my actions? But Jesus was not like that. Jesus was not one one who, when I was growing up, people would say, do as I say, not as I do. You see, that doesn't work. Jesus was, watch what I do and then do what I say. He said, you know, he would say things like, I want you to be kind to those who are not kind to, to you. Let me show you how I did it. Because he did it, did it throughout scripture. I want you to forgive people who hurt you. Let me show you how I did it. I want you to spend time with God in prayer. Let me show you how I did it. I want you to obey my father's commandments. Let me show you how I did it. You see, before Jesus went to the cross and died as an innocent man for our sins, one of the things that he did to honor God was he was baptized in water, it talks about here. Now, I I often think about that. I'm like, why would Jesus need to be baptized? I mean, he didn't have any sin in his life, and one of the biggest reasons that we look at baptism is it's a, it's a showing that we're, 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 cha- we're exchanging our old life for a new life. You see, well, why would Jesus have to do that? Well, I believe that in his intimate conversations with his father as they talk, because we don't have uh, 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 any written words of this dialogue or whatever, but we know that Jesus said that he only did what the father showed him to do or told him to do. And so it pleased the Father, and we know this, that when Jesus came out of the waters of baptism, that God said to him, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased, that he was blessed by what he did. And so Jesus was doing this to honor his Father. You see, he allowed himself to be baptized by his own cousin, John the Baptist. And I already came and kind of gave away the first point. Why did he do this? First of all, because he lived in obedience to God. It was what the Father commanded him to do. So Jesus was driven with a desire to please his Father. 
You see, when we remember and we recognize what God has done for us in our lives, it should be a delight and a joy for us to to serve him in whatever way or capacity that he wants us to. You see, we've got to remember, man, I, I, I still remember when I was lost, or I remember even years ago when I was struggling with sin in my life, and God helped me. He, he healed me. He, he changed my life. Because of that, I, I want to honor him. So the reason that he was baptized was, first of all, to obey God. Second, he did it as an announcement that he was entering a new stage of his life and ministry. You see, it was a change in his life that he had lived a certain way before, and now his life was about to change. You see, we don't know much about Jesus' life before he started his public ministry the last three and a half years of his life on earth. We only have little snippets. There's stories about his birth and him being in a manger, going to the temple, being circumcised, those kinds of things. There's stories about that. Then when he's 12, we we have the story where his parents were going for the Passover and and Jesus was at the temple teaching all the people and they left him behind. That's always a great story that for three days they didn't realize Jesus wasn't with them. Talk about bad parents of the year, but we're, we're, we're not here to talk about that today. But we really don't know what was going on in his life except that probably God was developing him, training him, but he was doing it outside of the public eye. And then all of a sudden he's baptized. It's an announcement that my life is now here for all the world to see. It was a declaration of his allegiance to God. It was an identification with God's kingdom and a separation from the world that he wouldn't be like everybody else, which is a reason why we get baptized as well. Third, it was a symbol of what was to come. He would later die on a cross and be dead for three days but on the third day, he would rise again. And, and, and it wasn't that he would rise again, but now things changed again. He had his resurrected body. It was also the change of a, of a new life for him, a new era of his ministry even farther. Well, it's the same thing that happens to us when we are baptized in water, that it's a symbolism of our old life being buried in the water. And that when we come out, it's saying, you know what? I have new life in God. I have new life in Jesus. The old is gone and the new has come. Pastor Peter talked about that in his scripture this morning when he was uh, talking to us about communion and even offering. He tied these things into it. There was a change that happened in his life. And lastly, it was a declaration or it was an example to us that we would bury our old lives in the, the waters of baptism and come out reborn. It's that he was, we were, that we one time were once dead in sin and now we will be alive in him again. You see, the blood and the water testify to life or new life. You see, you may not realize this, but when each one of us in the natural were first born, and I'm not gonna get too descriptive here, there's blood and water. And the blood and water is the beginning of our public lives. Before that, we're hidden in the womb. 
We're growing inside of our mother. God is forming us. We know that in, in Psalms uh, what's 133, I believe it is. We know that, 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 that God is, is forming us in the womb. But then all of a sudden we're born, and here we are, ready or not, in all of our frailty and our nakedness and our beauty. When Jesus died on the cross, not only did he shed blood for the forgiveness of our sin, but the Bible says that his side was pierced and that water poured out of his side so that we could be clean and refreshed and experience the newness of life. You see, God's design for us, not only would we be forgiving, but that rivers of living water would flow out of our lives. It is the blood, the water, and then he says the spirit or the breath of God that give us life. I think it's incredible how God shows us his wisdom and even creation. You see, the blood... Water and breath are really the most essential things for our lives. You couldn't live very long if you didn't have blood. You couldn't go very far without his breath. And you might live a few days or maybe even a week without water, but you won't last long without these essential parts to your life. You see, the blood, the water, the spirit are three witnesses to God working in our lives. You see, because God forgives me, God helps me, and his life pours out of me as a testimony of his life change and transformation inside of me. Obedience changes everything. Love changes everything. I want to encourage you. I'm going to have Catherine come up to the piano because we're going to close. I want to encourage each of you today, if you've not been baptized, that you would consider, because in three weeks from today, we are going to have a baptism Sunday, that you would look, first of all, why would you do it? Well, first of all, to follow Jesus' example, to honor God, because God didn't just suggest that we should do it, he actually commanded us to be baptized. Secondly, I believe there's some of you that have been struggling with a lot of things in your life that it gives you an opportunity to put those things under the water and come out that new person, that renewed person. I've seen people that didn't think baptism was important in their lives. I can speak to this, that just struggled and struggled and struggled and then all of a sudden they got baptized and they were amazed at all of a sudden the change in their ability to deal with their sin and deal with the things that they struggle with. There was a new freedom that came from that. Lastly, there are others that you've been afraid for people to know that you're a follower of Jesus. It's time for you to make that public declaration that you're not ashamed of being a follower of Jesus Christ, that you consider it an honor to live for him, even at times when people criticize you, maybe even mock you for what you believe, that you are now an un compromising follower of Jesus. He ends the chapter by making this statement in verse 11. And what God has testified is, is this, that he's given us eternal life and this life is in his son. Whoever has the son has life. Whoever does not have God's son does not have life. As we close, I want to ask you this question. Where are you finding your life?
Where does your life come from? Is it your own ideas, your own thoughts, your own works, your own creations? Is it your work? Is it relationships? Or is it through Jesus? You see, I believe this. Not only do we find eternal life through Jesus, John says, but we're able to live our fullest life potential in this earth because of what he's done for us as we honor him and we obey him. We can do things our own way, which leads to death and destruction, or we can learn to live his way, which gives us freedom and newness of life. I want to ask this question before we go today. Maybe you're here today and you would look at where you're at today. You would say, Pastor Todd, I realize that there are things that I am kind of not, that I'm working through, that I haven't really been putting my focus on God and what he would want me to do, how he'd want me to live. I've even looked at the Bible. I've looked at commandments. I've looked at Jesus as the big party pooper. Or maybe you've made the mistake of thinking you can just live your life any way that you please. See, that's what's in the church today. People just feel like it doesn't matter what I do, what I say or how I live. But I'll tell you what, it doesn't produce life. And Jesus said, I came to give you life and life more abundantly in John 10, 10, the second part of it. If you're like me today and you're saying, God, Help me to love your word. Help me to love your commandments. Help me to follow you. Lord, would you turn those things that sometimes feel burdensome into, Lord, just the delight. Would you remind me of just the great things you've done for me? If you need that today, if that's where you're at with heads bowed, with eyes closed, I just want you to raise your hand right where you are.